Well, people of God in Christ, as we near the end of the book of Genesis and come now to Genesis 47, I think we can, I think we can cover the, the whole of this chapter uh, by considering five points. First, the arrogance of Pharaoh. Second, the blessing of Jacob. Third, the enslavement of Egypt. Then the freedom of Israel. And look for the contrast here between the enslavement of Egypt and the freedom of Israel. And finally, the oath of Jacob. By way of these five points, the overall message sounded to us from God's word is that the people of God always maintain their identity as the people of God. The people of God are always the people of God, even under the rule of earthly rulers and authority. In other words, you might be despised as a Christian in this world. You might be persecuted as a Christian. You might even be put to death because of your faith in Jesus Christ, but that doesn't change anything. Listen to this. Death itself does not change anything, at least not when it comes to matters of eternity. Ah, there's the catch. Someone might want to say it it applies to eternity. But isn't that what is most important? We can live in this world with confidence and courage, but it will require that we give up trying to lay hold of this world. When the Apostle Paul writes, if God is for us, who can be against us? On one hand, the answer is obvious. The world can be against us. But what is Paul's point? But that it doesn't matter who is against us. When God is for us from all eternity and for us even unto all eternity. Opposition doesn't really matter if our victory is sure as it is in Christ. Our comfort both in life and in death is that we belong to Christ. So that Martin Luther wrote the words, Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. So it requires that we give up trying to lay hold of this world that we give up trying to gain and keep really anything in this world except for our eternal being, our souls, and even more, our bodies. And how do we do that? How do we keep both body and soul in this world? We do so by entrusting ourselves, body and soul, to our faithful Savior Jesus Christ, and and drawing our identity from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Genesis 47 is really a remarkable chapter of, of God's word. So remarkable it is, in fact, that to some degree we have to read it slowly. 
We have to allow ourselves to think about what we are being told here. And first is the arrogance of Pharaoh. And to see this, to realize it, we, we, we have to remember where we've been or what we've already heard. God appeared to Abraham, not to any other man, certainly not to Pharaoh or any other person on the, on the face of the earth. God appeared to Abraham and said to him, in essence, you're the one. God had decided to bless Abraham. The flood of Noah made it clear that, that no one on earth deserves to be blessed. Not even Noah deserved to be blessed. But God saved Noah and his family, and God chose Abraham and his descendants forever. And now, here was Jacob, the grandson of Abraham. Here's Jacob standing in relationship to Pharaoh. And who was Pharaoh? Well, he was a great ruler. He was powerful. But he was no Abraham. And he was no Isaac. And he was no Jacob. But when Jacob and his family arrived in Egypt, it occasioned the need to check in with the king, with Pharaoh. My father and my brothers, with their flocks and, and herds and all that they possess, have, have come from the land of Canaan. They are now in the land of Goshen, said Joseph to Pharaoh. We may remember that uh, we started this point out last time, that even as Jacob and his family were welcomed into Egypt, even as they were invited to come, and even as they were called to settle in a good portion of the of the land, yet they were told to stay separate. Go over there and live. There's lots of grass over there. Your, your sheep will love it. And it'll work well for us because you can raise your sheep over there and we'll, we'll be happy to eat your sheep. And what a great arrangement since uh, you'll be over there and we'll be over here uh, waiting to eat from your flocks. Verse 6 even records the words of Pharaoh, the land of Egypt is before you. I think that's a bit of an exaggeration, is it not? Settle your brother and, your, and your, your, your father and your brothers in the best of the land. But then Pharaoh said this, Settle in the land of Goshen. And if you know any able men from among them, bring them or put them in charge of my livestock. It might be easily missed, but, but what was Pharaoh doing? He, he was welcoming Jacob and his family, but, but only so far as they might serve him. Live in the land of Goshen, and it, and it was a, a good land, good for livestock at least. But the equal point was to keep them separated. I'm wondering if you would agree to such terms. Come to my party, but sit in the basement. Come stay in my house, and, and I have a great place for you in the garage. Well, you would agree, I think, if you were hungry enough. And, uh, and we know that Jacob and his family were indeed hungry. We know so little of, of true hunger in, in, in our experience. It, it might be hard for us to imagine. But, but if you were hungry, it, if it was the only way for you to survive and, and not to have to watch 
as your children die, well, you would surely agree. I'll take the basement and give me a corner in the garage as long as I can benefit from what the house has to offer. And this is the arrogance of the world. The world will give us a place. Uh, and it makes sense for us to take that allotted place. But let us not forget who we are. We are the royal We are the royal children of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The point is that we shouldn't miss, we shouldn't ignore the arrogance of the world. The world might say, there's a a place for you over there. Do what we tell you and, and all will be swell. On the other hand, the world might even say, there is no place for you here. You're not welcome here at all. But what arrogance. Because is this not our Father's world? The old hymn even says, this is my Father's world, and and let me ne'er forget that though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. And... And are we not children of the ruler, children of the king? Not the local king, but the king who rules over all. And this is the kind of thinking that we need to be doing. We must remember who we are and recognize the arrogance of the world around us. This is what the Apostle Peter was urging the church to remember, that that you are a chosen race, a, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Peter goes on to write, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So, so Peter makes it clear who... And what the church is, and not because a bunch of people got together and decided for themselves who and what they are, but because of God's doing, because of God's mercy, by way of the new birth accomplished by Jesus Christ. It's it's even as Psalm 100 says, which which we sing so often, Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Therefore, this is what Jesus our Lord Himself said in Matthew 19, verse 28. Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on His glorious throne, you who have followed Me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. We live in a day when everyone is talking about identity. But have you noticed that it's always self-identification? It's always an identity that is decided for the self, by the self. But that's not the starting point for Christians. To be a Christian is to look to God to identify us by His redemption, 
He defines us. And the result of such faith is to be identified by Christ and therefore with Christ to be identified as the redeemed and beloved people of God. Well, either you believe that or you don't. But if we believe it, then we must not allow ourselves to be shamed under the arrogance of the world. The point maybe isn't to shake our fist at the world, although it might be close to that at times. But the point is to hold our heads up high. And and this is what we see as well in the story of Jacob before Pharaoh, as we hear of the blessing of Jacob. In verse 7, we hear the report that Joseph brought in Jacob, his father, and stood him before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. You need to see the significance of this and let it, let it sink in. Jacob came before Pharaoh, and, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. An aged man, weak and frail, and, and, and of no account in Egypt. He even had to be brought in by his son Joseph in order to have the privilege of standing before Pharaoh. Otherwise, Jacob was just a foreigner, maybe even a a vagabond in in the eyes of the great king Pharaoh. Except for one thing, Jacob, Jacob was the father of Joseph. And Pharaoh surely had great respect for Joseph. Pharaoh Pharaoh didn't respect Joseph higher than himself, but he at least knew that because of Joseph, not only were his people surviving the current famine, but he himself, Pharaoh himself, was prospering greatly by it all. So this is surely God's way of making it clear that that those whom he had chosen are greater than even the most powerful rulers on earth. But consider again how unusual, how, how otherworldly, we might say, that this scene is. Jacob was brought before Pharaoh by Joseph, and that shows us Pharaoh's supremacy. And yet Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And the point is accentuated, it's emphasized, as the, as the record says again, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. By this we see the importance of the, of, of the patriarchs, as we call them, the, the fathers of our faith, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We see the honor and dignity that God bestowed upon these men and, and so many others who carried along the line of Christ. And by this we also see the honor and the dignity of Christ himself and the honor and the dignity that we have as those who are born of Christ. And we also see what our relationship really is to the world, that even as we may, may bear the scorn of the world, even as, as, as we often take a, a second place in, in the world, yet we are called to bless the world. In our case, to pray for the world. Here is the teaching of Jesus that we must love our enemies and, and pray for those who persecute us. It's what our Lord commanded us in, in Matthew 5, verse 43, when he said, 
You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This teaching from our Lord comes within his Sermon on the Mount. And, and we, we have sought in the past to understand rightly the Sermon on the Mount. And, and, and so let's remember uh, that it begins with blessings. The Beatitudes at the start of Matthew 5 are the, are the pronouncement of blessing, the declaration of salvation upon the people of his kingdom. So when we hear it said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, this is the response that we are called to make to the blessings of the kingdom. Like Jacob standing before Pharaoh, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Can we, can we do that? Will we do that? We will if we are confident of our identity in Christ. In a sense, we, we must feel sorry for the world around us. We must pity our very enemies who persecute us. As we remember who we are and what is ours in Christ, how can we not be moved to compassion for the world around us? How can we not pity those who hate us Because they are still in their sin and they remain under the judgment of God. Maybe the application given here actually helps us as we we go back to the story to recognize this amazing scene of Jacob, an, an old man of no account in Egypt, Jacob blessing Pharaoh. I wonder, did did Pharaoh laugh when Jacob blessed him? Maybe he had to suppress a a cynical smile when he received this blessing, uh, being polite to, to receive it. Okay, old man, thanks for the blessing. And in a sense, the blessing of Jacob was, was much like the benediction at the, at the end of the worship service. Is, is the pastor establishing the blessing of God when he raises his hands and says, um, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with your spirit? No, the pastor is pronouncing what already is so that the people of God will be more sure of it. And just so here, Pharaoh had already been blessed by Jacob. The offspring of Jacob, his favorite son Joseph, had been sent by God to help Pharaoh through a desperate time. Joseph, the son of Jacob, had been a blessing to Pharaoh so that Jacob was only pronouncing the blessing that already was. And yet, what did Pharaoh do with the blessing of God upon him and and his land? He used the blessing of Joseph's prophecy and Joseph's wisdom to enslave his own people. Here is, the, here is the third point, the enslavement of Egypt. Because the next verses tell of how it came about, that as the famine continued, uh, the people of Egypt continued to come to Joseph for food. First, they used up all their money, buying food in order to stay alive. Second, they traded all their livestock, buying food in order to stay alive. 
Finally, even their land and their own bodies, they gave, buying the food they needed to stay alive. From the perspective of our own day, it, it, it's kind of hard to see Joseph in this position. doesn't make him look real good that he uh, led the way in, in doing all of this, but he, he was the servant of Pharaoh. Even the grain that he had stored up and that he was now dispensing, well, it belonged to Pharaoh. And by this time, it was the same grain that was keeping his own family alive as well. But it really is a, a picture of what the world does with the blessings of God. The sin of the world is to use what God gives to gain more and more and in gaining more and more to oppress others and to take from them. It stands in stark contrast that, uh, that Pharaoh, that once Pharaoh enslaved the people, he even began to demand of them a fifth of their produce. What, is, what does God call for as a thank offering to him? The tithe, the tenth. But Pharaoh required the fifth as his people sold themselves, becoming Pharaoh's slaves in order simply to keep themselves alive. And yet all the while, here's the contrast, all the while Israel remains free. Here's, this, here's the next point, the freedom of Israel. There's a, there's a comparison in the, in the record of what happened. Uh, it's, it's pointed out to us that while Pharaoh enslaved his people, yet Israel remained free. Verse 27 records, Thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, and they gained possessions in it. Notice that it doesn't say they gained possession of it, the land of Goshen. Neither did they need to gain possession of the land because they had their own land, the promised land. And they, and they were here now, and, and neither could they have gained possession of the land because not even the Egyptians owned their own land anymore. Pharaoh took it from his people in exchange for their lives. Instead, they gained possessions in the land and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. The comparison is, is, is quite clear. The, the Egyptians were enslaved while Israel remained free. And Israel remained free because they were shepherds. They, they didn't need to own uh, uh, land on which to graze their animals. They were given the wild lands, the, the free pasture, pastures uh, uh, by which to grow wealthy. They, they again... Uh, or, or and again, it's the picture of how, of how God blesses his people in this world. The starting point is for us to remember that, that we have a land promised us by God. On one hand, we call it heaven. But heaven is not in the skies above. It's the promise that the day will come when heaven will come down to earth. The day will come when the earth 
will be ours. In the meantime, and that's where we are, right? In the meantime, here we are. Not needing to gain possession of the land because a land has been promised us. Even the the whole earth promised by God to us, his people. Here we are, not able to gain possession of the land because now it belongs to the evil one, the ruler of this world. So there really are two two comparisons really going on in Genesis 47. One comparison is, is the contrast, the difference between Egypt and Israel. The other comparison is the equation, the, the connection between the Israel of old and the Israel of today. And again, it comes down to identity. Who we are in Christ makes all the difference. The difference between us and the world. The world chases after survival. The world is enslaved by earthly rulers. We remain free at all times. No matter what happens, we remain free in Christ. This is what Jesus meant when he said, So do not be anxious about what you will eat or what you will put on for clothing, for your heavenly Father knows that you need these things so long as you remain in this world. We remain free Because we are free in Christ. Free even of the fear of death. Because Christ has died and has risen again. And because we belong to him. Finally, from this chapter, the oath of Jacob. We are told that Jacob lived 17 years in the land of Egypt. And that uh, he even died in the land of Egypt. There would be many more years for Israel, the people of God, to remain by their generations in Egypt. God had even told Abraham in his, uh, uh, had told Abraham his plan, if you recall, in Genesis 15. Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there. And and he even designates the time. And they will be afflicted for 400 years. The text doesn't tell us when the light bulb, we might say, came on for Jacob. We We don't know at what point he recognized in the things that were happening to him when he recognized these words that he surely knew were spoken to his to his grandfather Abraham. But we do say we do see the faith of Jacob. And and it stands as an example and even a call to faith for us. Jacob never lost sight of the promised land as he prepared for his own death. He called Joseph and he made Joseph swear that he would be buried in the promised land, even as his grandfather and his father had been buried. The irony is that, did you pick up on it? Joseph himself would die while he was still in Egypt. And Joseph himself would call upon others to swear to bury his body in the promised land. We'll get to that. Joseph does fulfill his promise. 
But it's a little ironic, is it not, that not even Joseph, before his death, would have opportunity to return to the promised land. And so it's back to the beginning. Martin Luther wrote the words, Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still, the kingdom is forever. Goods and family, food and, and clothes, life in this world, it's, it's all important. We are, after all, taught by Jesus to pray, give us this day our daily bread. But as Luther said, it, it all needs to be let go. And that really is what faith is at, at, at its most mature level. And what a blessing when we let it go. Do not be anxious about food and clothing, says our Lord, yet to us today. Which doesn't mean that we don't get up tomorrow morning and go to work. No, we, we go to work and we, and we work hard. And we work to make other people rich. That's a, that's a good motto for, for Christians. Work to make other people rich. Because that's all they have. This life and the fleeting pleasures of a world that is passing away, it's all they have. And yet at the same time, work to provide a witness that others might have more than just the fleeting pleasures of this world. Work that others might believe in Jesus. But as for us, as, as for those whom God has already made to be his people, do not be anxious about your life. Do not let it bother you that you're living in Egypt. Keep your eyes on the promised land, which means keep your eyes on Jesus and keep your heart in the gospel and keep your mind dwelling upon the promise of new heavens and a new earth. That's the call of God from this um, portion of his word. Take it or leave it. I, I, can, I, can, I can present it. I can't make you take it. But God can. And let's pray that he will. Amen. Let's pray together. God, make us to be your people. Move us to believe. Deliver us from being afraid of the world and from being afraid of death. The fear of death is to, is to fear a, a dead dog. Uh, so give us the faith to believe that in Christ, uh, the dog is dead and we are, we are your free people. We are redeemed in Christ, and we are heading for heaven. Grant, we pray, even as, as you must grant it, if we would believe, grant that by faith we will live in peace within this world, within this world that is passing away. In Jesus' name, amen.